Hello, everybody, and welcome to In Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by staff writer Sig Christensen. He joins the show to discuss the ongoing clemency effort for executed Camp Logan soldiers. Welcome back to the show, Sig. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing great. It's always good to have you on the show. I always talk about how you, uh, you're like a human encyclopedia. <laughs> Fill up to the brim with facts. I, I love it. Um, this is quite a harrowing story that kind of takes place at the height of World War I in 1917, a full, almost an entire year before the war would end in Houston. Uh, tell me about the story. Well, there was a group of soldiers in 1917. They were part of an all-Black unit. And this was not unusual because uh, there was a real mobilization effort going on for World War I. But one of the things that, that comes out of this is that when they uh, rioted in Houston uh, in 1917, they really got the, the bad end of the military justice system. It was a system that was not fair, uh, and it did not provide a lot of, uh, of protections for people who were charged with crimes, particularly uh, capital offenses. So on August 23rd, 1917, uh, soldiers that were with the 3rd Battalion, US 24th Infantry, which by the way, goes back to the Buffalo soldiers, that's their lineage. And so their descendants are in that unit. And on August 23rd, 1917, they went into Houston armed and loaded with ammo and rioted. They, they uh, clashed with whites and police officers uh, and 16 people were dead and two dozen were injured. Most of those people were white. The backstory is why that happened. Uh, Houston was an extremely racist place in 1917. The police department was not only racist, it was extremely violent. They were well known for their violence. And when you read the stories, including the one that ran uh, yesterday uh, online, uh, after the ceremony took place, uh, what you're going to find is that uh, it was just really, what happened there was just really cruel and uh, and brutal. And even the great-granddaughter of one of the white policemen who was viciously murdered doesn't hold it against the black soldiers for what happened. And that goes to what is happening now. This week, we had an event where a marker was unveiled, and they had some fairly high-powered people from the Pentagon out there speaking, both from the uh, Department of the Army and from the Veterans Affairs Department. And this, this marker uh, kind of uh, captures a bit of the history, tells you about these soldiers, these Buffalo soldiers who uh, rioted and then there are 17 of them buried uh, within walking distance of the marker at Port Sam Houston National Cemetery. Uh, in all, there were 19 who were executed. Uh, 
and 13 were executed after the first trial. And what is happening here with the uh, with 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 advocates for uh, for these soldiers is that they have sought a clemency petition. They filed one with the army secretary, and uh, we should know this year whether it will be approved. If it is, every single one of these soldiers, 118 in all, will be uh, given clemency. Their records will be cleared, and wherever they are buried, they will get headstones that note their ranks. Uh, the wars that they served in, uh, and and that is as uh, all veterans are treated when they're buried. So, if I was a captain in the Korean War and am buried at Fort Sam Houston, uh, that is noted on the headstone, the gotcha. war I served in. And if I had a medal such as a Silver Star or a Medal of Honor, those uh, honors are listed on the headstone. And that's what the clemency petition seeks to do. It seeks to wipe the slate clean. And they're arguing that it should be wiped clean because these soldiers had no due process. They did not get a fair trial. And a couple of points just to back that up. Those 63 soldiers that were put on trial initially at Fort Sam Houston's gift chapel, those soldiers, uh, had one counsel representing them, one army officer. He was not a lawyer. And he went up against four lawyers for the prosecution. Uh, 13 men out of that group were executed. They were executed 12 hours after they were convicted. A scaffolding was hastily built. They were hanged. The scaffolding was torn down and burnt. Then they were buried near Salado Creek and remained there for a couple of decades before they were moved. The other six were hanged later, but in the second and the third trials, the army had already changed one rule. It granted an appeal process for anyone convicted of a capital offense. When the 13 were tried, they had no right to appeal, none. And the army itself recognized the injustice and immediately changed that to require uh, the top army official and the president to sign off on an execution. It was because of the war. It was something like along those lines. Can you elaborate on that? At a time of war, uh, capital offenders were not granted the right of appeal. I don't know why that rule existed. It's not such a hard thing to have an appeal process even in a time of war. And the army, the top army lawyers who changed the rule recognized that. And they recognized how bad this was. Because for one thing, not a single person identified a single defendant as having committed a murder or participated in a riot, not in all three trials. No witnesses. Uh, and the poor representation uh, makes it pretty clear that there was no possible way these men could get a fair trial. And it was uh, a typical trial that you would expect in a time of extreme racism. Now, it's not popular with some people to talk about that, but it existed. That was the reality of life in America in 1917. There had always already had been race riots across the South. There had been lynchings across the South. The Ku Klux Klan 
murdered people and intimidated people. That is all part of the history. There is no argument about that. There's a really powerful quote from the Jason Holt, the lawyer who and distant cousin of one of the the soldiers that was that was hanged. That was hanged. And it says, today you are not forgotten. I don't know what history's ultimate judgment will be, but on this day, at this time, there's an acknowledgement that your lives mattered, that your lives had impact, value, and meaning, because injustice in its cataclysmic struggle with justice cannot win, which I I was just like floored by that quote. He made a very good speech, but then uh, every single person that came up there spoke eloquently. And there was one guy who was... uh, a deputy undersecretary in the army. There were people from the Veterans Administration in high positions. And there's no doubt in my mind that the, that the uh, ball is, a, is going to roll downhill on this one pretty quickly. Uh, this decision is in the hands of an army corrections board at the moment. They will give a uh, referral on what they think should be done. And the army secretary uh, will be the person who ultimately decides whether to grant clemency. I'm going to make a prediction. Sometime later this year, uh, Christine Warmuth is going to come back and say, I'm granting all 118 clemency. Uh, and that is because when you take a look at what happened here, there is absolutely no possible way that you can connect a single person convicted of these crimes with a crime that took place. Uh, the trials were inherently flawed. It's just that simple. There's no question that the process uh, was unfair and that it was going to yield the outcome that it did. Now, how can I say that? I can say it because I've done a lot of military trials working for this newspaper. I've covered capital cases. So I covered the Nidal Hassan trial, and that was in. 19, uh, I'm sorry, that was in 2013. I covered everything about that incident starting the day of the mass shooting. And one of the things that I learned then, because I spent time at South Texas College of Law in Houston, which has an extensive collection on this riot. It's the most extensive collection that exists. And I went through it and I saw how dramatically the law changed after this event, which is sometimes called the, uh, the, the Houston mutiny. Uh, when you looked at the changes that were made over 20 years and 30 years uh, and, and how these protections are now built into the law, you have an automatic appeal when you're convicted of a capital offense. So Nidal Hassan's appeal is still in the system, the last I heard. Uh, He has been sentenced to death and justice for him will be slow, but it will happen. Uh, And the Army uh, and and the uh, Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces called the CAF uh, and ultimately the Supreme Court are going to do their uh, diligence in making sure that that conviction is golden, that it is right, righteous. And that is how the world changed. And that's why it changed, because of Camp Logan. Camp Logan was the, was, the, was the time when everybody recognized that this system was broken and that it had to be fixed. And it took time. 
But there is no question that all of the changes in military law, especially the ones at the very beginning, the institution of an appeal process where one did not exist in 1917, mm-hmm. that is an acknowledgement that the system was badly flawed. So that's where we stand. Uh, and what happened this week with the unveiling of the marker was a serious milestone. I mean, when you listen to the speakers, they all represent uh, the uh, views of people within the administration. Uh, there was no question in any of their minds that uh, that that this was a travesty of justice and that uh, the uh, clemency petition uh, should be approved. And of course, uh, the Army Secretary may decide against it, but I would be surprised because you can see that there has been a paradigm shift about this case. Uh, and of course, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, that's that's still something we won't have an answer to until the fall, probably. And then uh, before I let you go, I just real quickly wanted to talk about uh, you covered Joe Biden's visit to UT Health San Antonio. What can you tell me about that? Well, I'll tell you one thing she said at the end was that all of us knew people who uh, had cancer, people in our own families. And she's right. I mean, I I can't tell you about all the other reporters in that room, but in my own family, uh, you know, I've had I've had people in my family die uh, as a result of cancer. I have people in my family who had cancer and were treated and are doing well. And I've had dear friends uh, who got cancer. Two of them have died in the last few years. They were college friends from uh, long ago. And obviously her son, Bo, uh, died of brain cancer in 2015. That's why she's such a huge advocate for, you know, um, for cancer research and education. Well, uh, whether you support Joe Biden or not, you can't really be against this. Uh, It's uh, what they're doing in research uh, is remarkable. And uh, what they're trying to do in in studies is make them more representative of the people who are out there. So Hispanics, for one thing, are not well represented in in these studies that they're doing when they're trying a new treatment. and, and that is something they're trying to change. Uh, what she did yesterday was try to raise some consciousness about this. Uh, it's been difficult during COVID for people to go in and get tested uh, to do something as simple as get a mammogram. Because as all of us know, we've tried to avoid putting ourselves in places where we could end up getting the COVID virus. And so, uh, you know, people haven't gone to see their dentist. They haven't seen their doctors. Uh, that's That's been a common uh, thing to happen during uh, COVID. And they're trying to get people spun up and and uh, and and get them into their doctor to, to get tested, to get checked. Uh, and uh, I thought that that was maybe the uh, the ultimate message from that visit yesterday was think about this. Uh, it's it's silent. You may not even know you have it, but if you go see a doctor, somebody might find something and early detection is the thing that will save you. If you wait until you're a stage four patient, you've waited too long. 
Well, Sig, uh, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I love talking to you. Love, love all your insights. Again, you're a human encyclopedia. I love it. Well, I'll tell you, it's a wonderful beat. And what you get here on this beat is a, uh, an opportunity to, to cover a lot of ground. I said long ago, everything that happens in the military happens in the civilian world. So you have crime in the military, you have crime in the civilian world. You have people doing really good things in both places. And what I love most about this beat is that you run into people who are doing their jobs, wearing the uniform, because they're, they're committed to something bigger than themselves. They're not doing it for the money. They are, in many cases, trying to have a career. Uh, but, you know, they're deployable. They, they've been to war. I've been with them in Iraq and Afghanistan. I've been with them when they were in their four tours of duty, and they hadn't seen their kids very much at all in several years. And you cannot help but identify with them and want to tell their stories uh, because they're real patriots. They're, they're doing it uh, because they believe in the country. And, uh, and, and I'm proud to be associated with that as a reporter. That's the best beat in, the, in, in all of journalism. And it's been the, the greatest joy I've had as a journalist in nearly 40 years to be on this beat and, and spending time with those guys. Uh, and, and as soon as they start going over to Europe, I hope that the army starts letting us go out there with them. I'd like to be in the field with them in Poland or uh, some other NATO country and, and live out there with them and see how they're doing because that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be telling everyone back home uh, what their troops are doing in the field, how they're representing us, talk about the risks they're taking, and also talk about how their lives are changed by what Vladimir Putin has done. Uh, it ripples through our society, and in a town like San Antonio, just about everybody is affected by it. This is a real military community. Three bases, a big training range, uh, Air Force, Army, Navy, and Marines are here, especially the Air Force and the Army. And uh, and so what happens in uh, in Gdansk uh, ripples right here into San Antonio. Thank you so much, Sig. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye.